Last time on the Weebcast. I think he's just a retard. I don't think he's a gay retard. Is that an anime figure inside of your computer? Wow, you're you're autistic, aren't you, Anna? Yeah, lobotomizing women is definitely a goal the Weebcast has. Hey, yo, nice computer you got there. Look at the hoggers on her. Yeah. Stop trying to fucking seduce your cat, dude. Okay. You can watch porn on the computer? I didn't even know you could do that. Why you, you wrote the review, dude. You gave it five head pats out of five. Hey, everyone. I am Tony, and this is the Weebcast. I am joined by Frig. Oh, I don't uh, have a sip. You. I don't have a sip to crack today. Oh, I'm no. I'm drinking wine instead. Uh, yeah. Uh, we got Jejun. Happy oh. birthday to Eggie, and shoutouts to all the healing chads. Base! Right. Base! And uh, Flamenco, special guest. Uh, person with actual clout here. Of, of DLive <laughs> and Stream.me fame. Yeah, the, the thing is, is that, like, I, I, like <laughs> I'm uh, I'm hemorrhaging average viewers every day. Uh, the, uh, I, I, I have, like, somewhat Twitter clout. That's that's yeah. that's all I have because people keep on following me for fo- some reason. I don't know. Nobody nobody yeah. like likes my tweets, so I don't know. Yeah. Yep. I mean, we went on hiatus for like a year. We're basically fucking dead at this point. <laughs> right. You know, I was anyway. uh, it, it, it hurts us all. It hurts us all when Flam hemorrhages D Live viewers because Flam's D Live viewers are our only audience on D Live. <laughs> yeah, yeah thank you, you carry us, thank bro. You for, yeah, bro, you yeah, really carry you. us with the hosting. Uh, yeah. <laughs> now and then, like that shit. Uh, it's a yeah. big help. It's a big help. The other day, we uh, discovered how to do the little alerts where when people donate a lemon, it plays. Doo-doo-doo. Yeah. We figured, out, we figured out how to do that shit, and Tom made like 300 lemons because one guy in the chat, one guy in the chat, was sitting there continuously spamming one lemon to hear. Doo-doo-doo. Yeah, I think I've probably made like 500 lemons in like the Thanks. last like three days just because people wanted to hear the titty labs. Uh, anyway, uh, we're doing <laughs> Fate Zero now, Frig. You're you're the yeah, big what's up? What's you're up? the biggest fate head, right? I think right. that's fair to I, say. I think I could. I think I'd take the crown for for autism with that. <laughs> I'm 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 uh, I'm Frigg's apprentice in fate yeah. autism though. Yeah, so right. I, I'd say I'm the second. Taught uh, him everything. He, taught him everything he knows and everything <laughs> I've lied about that he now knows. Yep. <laughs> All right, uh, Frig, can you explain to us what Fate Zero is? What what it's about? Yeah, so basically, Fate Zero is the prequel light novel to Fate Stay Night. Um, it takes place during the time when uh, Shiro's adoptive stepfather uh, was fighting in the Grail War. So roughly, I guess if you had to pick a year, I mean, I would just like wildly get, let's see, because Fate Stay Night takes place in 2004, so this would have been, what, 1994, 10 years yeah, ago? Yeah, 94. Bill Clinton so, was president then. Bill so, Clinton yeah. was oh, president yeah. then. Yeah, Bill Clinton was president then. Um, and so, uh, yeah, that's pretty much what it is. It's a Grail War set in Fuyuki, just like Fate Stay Night, except the whole cast is better. Um, and it's largely just straight up an upgraded version of Fate Stay Night uh, with cooler protagonists. And, well, uh, Frig, are you casual yeah. or something, bro? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I- it's, it is commonly, this anime is commonly accused of being, you know, uh, 
secondary fate material or, or things for casuals. And oh, the reason not. the reason people on A say that is because they really like, you know, watching shitty animes and they don't really like <laughs> things that are like interesting. So um, what are the um what are the criteria that they say that Fate Zero is inferior into compared to cuz like of the anime adaptation I think specifically, they I think you they, don't need to read an autistically long visual You don't need to read a visual novel to get it. Um, yeah. the other thing that they don't like about it is, you know, the main pro they they identify more with the uh, protag Shiro from Fate Stay Night because he's also autistic. And functionally um, retarded. And functionally retarded, and, you know, as opposed to, like, you know, uh, Kiritsugu, you know, from the get-go, he already has a wife and a child, so there it is a little hard to identify with him. Um, so, you know, that's probably the main reason people... Though so he is I would say I would say that Kiritsugu probably is possessed of some other kind of autism. Oh, it's yeah, just a very high-functioning kind. Yeah, he, uh, he has his very own unique brand of it. He, he shirks social uh, conventions and just does things his own way and uh, completely wrecks shit because of it. Right. Yeah, which is great. Uh, a lot of autistic characters in this show. We have, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. We have Kirei, of course. Kira um, is very Kira, autistic. Yeah. Kira is a Kira is, uh, Kira is like uh is like the um is like the, the, the Chad uh <laughs> like the Chad seminary uh like graduate. He's yeah. just like yeah. I, 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 I make it no um I make it no secret that Kira is uh one of my favorite characters throughout oh, all of this. Absolutely. Hell yeah, uh brother. DW yeah, you, I mean you uh will make me into a whale if you uh release Rasputin as a servant. I don't care how shit he is. Right, yeah. right. Yeah, no, I like I like Kira, but I think uh one of my favorite, you know, things about this show is just like man, your favorite the most Chad based or favorite character really just changes episode to episode. Because yeah. they're really all, honestly, really awesome, and most of the anime really just focuses around bullying Saber. Mm. That makes it, yeah. in my opinion, one of my favorite uh, anime adaptation uh, oh, yeah. materials. She gets her debit card confiscated all the time. Yeah, yeah she gets. Uh, she receives multiple <laughs> spankings throughout. Yeah. Honestly, that's yeah. like one of the uh, uh, the biggest like changes and shifts from. Um, uh, the fate visual novels that's primarily told through the eyes of of a uh, shiro i believe mm -hmm. i think yep. there's like because like we do we get to see like art uh reen summoning archer in that or is that like described in a flashback or something uh in fate stay night we don't see reen summoning archer but we do see that in unlimited blade works i mean in the visual novel in the like, visual novel yeah uh no Rin shows the first time you see Rin with archer she already has him Oh, okay. So yeah, like Fate Stay Night specifically told through, through the Shiro's. view of Shiro, yeah. whereas Fate Zero is more of a... A neutral, it's like a neutral narrator telling yeah. the story instead. I mean, yeah, there is never... Yeah, focusing on all of the masters, right. like, it's... as they need to be. Yeah, I would say that it's like, it's a story told from every, every character is almost a protagonist. I mean... Kiritsugu is really the only thing that really makes him the protagonist is just lasting the longest and being the first character you meet, really. 
that's about the only thing that warrants him being the pro tag. Other than that, I he mean, also Kira, gets the most development. He gets of the most the characters. Yeah. But I mean, Kirei, we see Kirei gets a, just about as much screen time as Kiritsugu, and he's kind of, kind, they're kind of built up together as the like duo antagonists of the show. But you also see everything from the uh, first-person point of view of all the other masters. Uh, you know, you see Waver's entire character development directly through his eyes. You see, uh, you know, you see Gilgamesh. Uh, Gilgamesh kind of is the least is the one character that you don't really get too much, uh, yeah, backstory on or really like. He's I, kind of he's always depicted as the third party in the room. That's kind I of think like. I think that works, people, though. But it works great. Gilgamesh is supposed to be, like, this, like, badass, like, mysterious guy that could just, like, own everyone. Right. And, like, it's, it's like, an event when he shows up. Like, you're always hyped to see him. Oh, know? yeah, no. Gil, Gil is always hype. Um, don't want to spoil it right at the start of the show here, but, uh, <laughs> you know, the, the scene at the very end with Saber and Gil... Probably one of the most Chad Daddy Dog declaration <laughs> pill things. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. Yes. In in general, in general, I'd say this anime does one of the best jobs I've ever seen in a twenty five episode anime of yeah. like giving every character a lot of uh, a lot of character development and exposition. While not like it's not too long, it's not too short, and it's not it, yeah. while it has a lot of characters, it's not overly crowded. And there's really nobody that you just, like, end the show... There's no character that you see that you end the show not really knowing anything about. One of uh, the, with the getting minimal development. With, like, with the exception of uh, uh, Assassin. I think Assassin, yeah. in terms of overall character development, compared to all the other servants and even, like, their masters. Like, Uryu gets more character development than, you know, the... Hassan of a hundred personalities. That's true. I I like this plot because Fate Unlimited Blade Works and uh, Heaven's Feel. I I haven't read the VN. Uh, I think most people haven't. Uh, I enjoyed those a lot, but the problem with them is that I didn't really feel like I knew anyone other than Shiro and Rin and mm. Sakura and Heaven's Feel. In this, like you know exactly what everyone's thinking and. It, it's just, it just works so much better, and it's so well-paced. I think there's only one episode that I really felt was kind of unnecessary, and that was the one with uh, Rin as a little girl. I thought that was a little stupid. Yeah, a little bit yeah. of Corbo's going on I don't know why Corbo put but... that in there. Corbo, and we have to talk about, we have to bring this up every review of every anime. We gotta talk about, you know, in what ways did Corbo... In where did his tentacles sneak into the director's department? And that is with uh, one of your one of your first characters that really pops out from the rest, and that is Caster's master Ryunosuke. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, oh, Ryunosuke yeah. is he's fucking out there. Uh, he doesn't even really intend on joining the Grail War. He just wants to summon a servant because he thinks they're demons. Correctly. I and, think it's uh, not even that he. I don't, I don't even people. think that it was like full on. He wanted to summon a demon. I think it was just so. Uh, to, for people who uh, haven't watched the end, just a basic backstory. Um, Uryu is a person who has mages in his family. Who he had found a manuscript in their storehouse and uh, basically haphazardly ends up 
creating a summoning circle to summon a servant uh, because he already had blood because he's also a serial killer and he had just killed a family and uh, I don't even know if he necessarily was like even planning on summoning a demon. I think he just wanted to scare the shit out of a little kid before he <laughs> murdered him too. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He kind of like, he doesn't even like halfway expect it to work when he does the summoning. He just like casually, yeah. after killing this kid's whole family, he casually asks him, so you know, do you think demons exist? I mean, I kind of want to try summoning one. You wouldn't mind if I like fed it to him if it works, right? Well, he um very correctly reads about the Holy Grail War and servants and all this shit, and is like, "Oh, this must be about demons." Which I don't think he even did that. Like, is it is it confirmed that Uryu's family was like one of the other mage families in like the um, past Grail Wars? I believe so. he he explained that his family. Uh, well, while explain whether it's explained or just fucking with this kid i don't really know but he tells the kid that his family uh long ago was researching summoning demons so presumably everyone in his like magecraft bloodline was like you know really into like dark witchcraft or whatever as opposed to being if he were if his family bloodline were interested in pursuing the root or any other like philosophical magic thing, they would have probably been part of the association, but they obviously weren't since he didn't know anything about like proper mage conduct. Or they're just like a dead mage family, I'm guessing. Or yeah, that could also be the case, yeah. Cause he's like he's even less of a mage than Shiro is during um the right. Fate Stay Night thing. Neat. Like he wasn't even improperly trained. He doesn't yeah. like he has fact, to he has to have like semi-latent magical circuits i'm guessing because something because caster as a servant is a pretty um taxing servant to use however caster also is capable of just absorb creating territory and absorbing mana directly from ley lines so that, that and his noble of, phantasm his noble phantasm supply directly gives him mana yeah but he needs like he needs just like a anchor to the world so he doesn't get like erased yeah I mean, Ryunosuke, really, the only time he's shown utilizing anything similar to magic is when he's using artifacts that other people made for him, like the bracelet yeah. that lets him, you know, uh, lure children into his uh, basement and shit like that. That's, like, the only time he really uses magic directly. Uh, so it's safe to say he's less of a mage than even Shiro is. Um, yeah. Less of a mage than Shinji is, even. Even Shinji, yeah. Uh, I guess we should probably just take a second, just real quickly, go over the cast, uh, just list them all out here. So we've got, uh, same as Fate Stay Night, seven servants, seven masters. Not really a huge aberration from the norm like Apocrypha is. So we've got, uh, on the, we got the three major mage families, Tosaka, Mapuri, and, uh, Einsburn. On the Tosaka side, we've got Ren's father, um, Tokiomi. And then on the uh, Makiri side, we've got Zoken, uh, who... Well, no, we've got, uh, we've got we've Zoken's got grandson, or not grandson, grandson son. son, Karia. Yeah, we've got his son, Karia, being basically used as a proxy for uh, Zoken, which originally Sakura was going to be used as the Makiri master, Zo and uh, Karia decides well, to take her place to... Uh, not even her, because... Um... The, the the thing about the thing about the Grail War specifically that gets kind of messed up because of the events of Fate Zero is that the uh, the Grail War is supposed to happen every sixty years, not every ten years like it does in you know 
fate zero to fate uh stay night so it wasn't even that sakura was supposed to be a um a uh, a, a candidate for the grail war the idea was is that sakura would be the one to bear the candidate for the um right. for, for the, the uh, mottos because of yeah. uh zoken's obsession with not dying he hasn't passed on his ma- uh his uh, magical crest and his uh mage family has completely died out due to uh just completely unusable magical circuits right well i mean even like karia uh karia and his brother both kind of have like some amount of ma- latent magical talent but because they didn't receive a, a magic crest from zokin because he was like a greedy boomer with a reverse mortgage uh they basically can't i mean they can't do anything it's it, we learned very early on in zero from uh waivers class that he's taking on necromancy from uh uh Elmaloy. we learned that a mage's power is proportional to the size of their magic crest which is based on how long it's been passed down through the generations and well- as real quick, Zoken did not bother real, to pass it down, it doesn't really matter if his children have any talent or not because they don't have a magic crest with which to... They, they're starting from zero, basically, so they're kind of useless as mages. Real, real quick, Frigg, why don't you explain for those not in the know, because this is actually a pretty important topic for, a lot, uh, for several of the characters in Fate Zero. What yeah. exactly is a magical crest? Yeah, so a magical crest is basically a way in which a mage in the fate universe can record the knowledge of their resources, or their research and their techniques and special abilities. They can record those things down in a crest, which can be passed down generation to generation, and that allows basically it's like accumulated wealth, but rather than like a physical monetary wealth, it's a wealth of knowledge that can be passed down from you know father to son and so forth. And doing this allows, like, the mages that have had family lines going back a thousand years, you know, they can use all of the magical techniques of all of their ancestors, which this is how, like, uh, this is how groups like the, you know, the Einsburns have such powerful mages that they use. How, you know, the Tosakas have a ridiculous amount of techniques they can use as well. Yeah. These things are all kind of, uh, they- Sorry about that, technical difficulties. Um, so the difference with Magecraft and Sorcery is that Magecraft really only allows mages to do things that would be possible with conventional methods, but just kind of on more grander scales. You couldn't use Magecraft to, like, say, resurrect a dead person truly, or, like, you know, put a soul in a different body, like Corvo into the Fumo or something like that. You yeah, really yeah. do that kind of thing. But, um true true sorceries or true magics uh that are described in fate are basically they're things that like somehow fundamentally violate the laws of the universe and are just approach the level of power that should only really be possible by god things mm-hmm. that just mages cannot really replicate and another important thing is that the root will actually in a sort of a self-defense mechanism it does not want people to reach it and so people who utilize true magic, it will typically cut off that method of performing the true magics so that no one else can try and do that. Like you couldn't just, you know, very, you couldn't easily replicate, say, the uh, magic that Zelrich used to uh, reach the root. You can't teach true magic, essentially. Right, you couldn't teach it to someone else. It's, it's a one and done thing when you perform it. 
one of the uh one of the i believe there's like five true magics that are known in the fate extended universe with all the light novels and one of the methods described has never actually been performed but the true magic itself was discovered and just passed down generation to generation so that eventually one of the heirs I believe it was uh, the current like head of the association. I think her name is Aoki or something like that. I'll have to look that one up again, see what her name is. But uh, uh, anyway, yeah, they, they they just passed down the method by which to perform this true magic, so that one of their descendants could eventually perform it for real. But once they would do that, you know, that method of getting to the root would be sealed off. So yeah, in that sense, there's uh. There's a couple of abilities in Fate that kind of approach true magic. For instance, uh, projection is a common, it's like a, a, just a technique within Magecraft, the ability to reproduce the visual likeness of an item. But Shiroemia, for instance, could uh, project an actual noble phantasm that's like capable of functioning like the real thing. And that is considered by some similar to true magic, even though it's... It, probably isn't, but uh, that's just kind of an example of that there. What yeah. were we going on uh, before the technical difficulty, what were we talking about? Uh, before this sure, I, I guess characters and then magic characters stuff. And yeah, we'll get back to back Background stuff. Yeah, yeah Kiritsugu is... I, I, I don't know. I, I, I've seen, I think, all of them except for uh, the Nero one. I forget the fucking name of it. Last Encore. Last yeah, Last Encore and the Waver Show. Yeah. So, like, I, I can't say wild. definitively, but from what I've seen, I think Kiritsugu is definitely by far the best protagonist in the series. Absolutely. Uh, I know that might bother some people because, like, he's really edgy or whatever, well, but... Look, he's really fucking cool, okay? He's like, so he's, fucking cool. He's fucking cool. He uses a gun. Yeah. A, yeah. You know, it would be like, imagine if you went to Hogwarts, right? And yeah. You know, the maid, there is, some people don't like this comparison, but there is a bit of comparison between the uh, the Mage Association yeah. fate and Hogwarts. But and what if there like, was a dude in Hogwarts, Hogwarts just capping dudes with a fucking clock? Yeah. It'd be awesome. Imagine, like, you just went right up to the big man himself. You went to Harry Potter, you challenged him to a duel. You challenged him to the duel, and he's like, oh, where's your wand at? Like, where's, where are your manners, you know? And he just pull out a pistol and shoot him in the face. He can't do shit. There's nothing he can do to defend against that. Oh, it's not <laughs> even that. You shoot him You shoot him in the arm or something, and then your bullet has, like... Because it's not It's not just a gun. Like, Kiritsugu, Kiritsugu like, doesn't have just a gun. He's got a gun, but there's magic in his bullets. Right, yeah, so Kiritsugu uh, has what's called a mystic code. This is like a term brought up a lot throughout the series. Uh, mystic codes are basically their ida their magical, magical items, items that can do one of two things. They can amplify a mage's power or transform it in some way, or they can perform fixed functions. So like um, in Kiritsugu's case, uh, the mystic code is both this gun that shoots these magical bullets... And the magical bullets themselves, which there are a finite number of them, and they're uh, created based... Uh, basically what happens is when Kiritsugu is younger and, um, you know, his dad, uh, he killed his dad and was... Uh, well, let's get to that. We'll get to that. We'll get to that part that later. Is, 
Right. Suffice to, suffice to say, Kuritsugu has a uh, a special little tism called his origin, which is the concept of cutting and then retying. Right. All ages, all people have this at some point, and it really is only important for two characters. So we just kind of like gloss right. over that. Basically, if his gun hits a mage. It will sever their magical circuits and then retie them so that if they try to use magecraft, it will absolutely, utterly fuck up their bodies. Like they yeah. will. It, uh, magical circuits are essentially your central nervous system. So basically, if you try to use magic after being hit by one of these, you're a vegetable, essentially. Yeah. Right. And yeah, he uses a. Um, there's a lot of cool guns in this show. Uh, I thought that was kind of neat. A lot of the time. You just see pretty standard issue military stuff in anime, but uh, he uses a Thompson. Uh, what the fuck is this called? Contender, I think is what it was called. Thompson Contender, which only holds one bullet, which sounds really fucking stupid to do, but it makes it really cool because if he misses, right, it, makes, it makes it makes the scenes where he shoots the gun extremely keno because it's <laughs> yeah. It's basically a Thompson contender. Uh, it, it is a rifle, sort of. Yeah. But it's like the size of a small handgun. Takes full caliber rifle rounds, but it breech barrels like a shotgun. Yeah. And so when he like pops the thing open, it just—it's really fucking kino. Uh, it makes him way more of a badass character when he uses it. Uh, he's got another gun as well, some kind of, it's kind of just a generic, it's called a Calico, I don't know who produces that gun, but it's a very weird looking submachine gun. It basically does nothing, he only uses it as like a farce to trick enemies into thinking that he's like, because most mages, most mages in this anime easily have the ability to deflect like standard small arms fire, like you know, a police officer could not kill them with a 9mm right but uh so he has like a just a small submachine gun that he uses for suppressing fire and he basically just uses that to get mages to lower their guard against him because they think oh we'll just put up a shield you know or use magic to reinforce my skin or something like that and the bullets can't pierce it and then when he hits them with the contender because they're using defensive magic it fucking rapes them (laughs) which is a really which is the really kind of interesting thing about his character and everything that goes on in here especially with uh mage's attitudes towards the uh the mundane or something this is really even like put on display in the first episode when um all the other masters are gathering information on their opponents you have uh um what's his name um Tosaka, uh, Tokiomi Tosaka, who's yeah. an established, very prim and proper mage, who has like this uh, this uh, machine that has like a pendulum that like scries down and writes notes, and he cuts right. it it's from like, he cuts like a- he cuts the parchment with like a blade and stuff. It's all very like antique looking and yeah, things right. like that. Whereas Kiritsugu is like printing out dossiers on his opponents on a printer and using a laptop and stuff right. like that to like. To, to to you know draw comparisons between the two and the the really the big really funny one is the 
the height of arrogant mages in the series. Uh, Kaneth Elmoloy Archibald, one of the uh, <laughs> lords of the clock tower, a, 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 a massive uh, arrogant prick who's very confident in his magecraft. Like when he knows that uh, Kiritsugu is going after him, he goes on this long montage of it's like, oh, is he ready to brave the magical workshop of El Malloy Archibald? I have yeah, all like, these magical defenses. And I have, you know, three ghouls roaming around the halls, hundreds of <laughs> teleporters that will send you to another dimension. I have this and that and this and that. And he's describing all this dumb shit that he's like put a little maze around this floor of a hotel building. All the things that Kiritsugu has to do to get to him even. And then he's like, right. I'll, I'll wreck the shit with this guy. And then <laughs> right. go, go on, Frank. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to yeah, interrupt yeah. you. And Kiritsugu being a practical assassin is not even like considering any of this magic bullshit. He's just like, oh, he's in a hotel. Cool. I'll just blow it up. <laughs> and so he like, you know, parks a bunch of cars under the hotel with bombs in them, calls in a bomb threat to the hotel. You know, uh, Kaneth like doesn't pay any money. He's like conventional weapons. That, that's not going to do anything to me. And then uh, once everybody leaves the hotel, uh, Kiritsugu just pretends to be Kaneth and tells the hotel staff, "Yes, me and my wife Sololi have uh, left the hotel." And they're like, "Okay, cool. That buys out." And then he just nukes the hotel <laughs> with Kaneth inside. Fucking owns him. Do you the I, I guess we're getting into spoilers, and we're kind of skipping ahead just for a little bit. When he kills Kaneth and uh, his wife, it is oh, he like kill Kaneth. It, Wait, well, he's, he's, he doesn't he's kill Kaneth. He is magically <laughs> barred from raising a finger to them. But <laughs> oh, we'll, 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 oh, that's, that's probably the most like ice cold thing that he uh, that Dude, happens. Right. I think that's probably like the best thing about this whole anime. <laughs> And, you know, just cover your ears and la-la-la if you don't want to be spoiled the best part of the whole anime. But, uh, fucking... Kanus survives the initial explosion of his hotel pretty easily. But then when he goes after Kiritsugu and goes to his mansion to attack him directly, that's when, uh, you know, he just... Uh, Kiritsugu used the origin bullet on him. Absolutely cripples him for life. Can't use magic anymore. He's fucked. So his wife takes his command seals, and then when they finally have their little final showdown with him and his wife, uh, Kiritsugu just kidnaps his wife using conventional methods and threatens to shoot her if he doesn't sign this like contract. And when he now this signs, contract specifically yeah. is written that um, Kaneth would have to use his command seals to order his servant to commit suicide, basically to yeah. just completely remove him from the Grail War. But this contract is like magically binding. Kiritsugu cannot um, violate this contract even like in death or something. It's it's 100% sealed that he himself cannot raise a finger to him or his wife ever. And to yeah. just kind of sweeten the deal, he's holding a gun to his wife's head while he makes him sign this contract. <laughs> and the instant, the instant he signs it, you know, Kiritsugu just kind of throws his gun down, lights a cigarette, and he's like, yep, I mean, I can't do shit to you. At least not personally. Yeah. And then his assistant just snipes him in the head from like across. No, no, his assistant, Holy his assistant shit. snipes his wife, snipes uh -huh. the guy's wife, and oh, yeah. then shoots him. And this guy, like, he's still screwed up from the origin round. He <laughs> right. he, he is wheelchair bound at this point. 
he is on the ground drowning in his own <laughs> blood and he's like looking up at Kiritsugu and he's like like, just kill, kill me. me. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm a, I'm barred from raising a finger against you, dude. That is the yeah. most like hype, like anime yeah, is... shit ever. It, it's so fucking that was cool. The most brutal anime. Yeah, dude. I love that part because the the whole fight with Saber and Lancer is like this. They they basically just want to fuck yeah. and like. It's so cringe because they're like, "Oh, I'm such an oh, honorable so knight. Honorable. Oh, yeah, let's God. have this honorable duel on my honor, on my honor." And then Kiritsugu is just like, "Nah, fuck that. I'm a <laughs> bitch." And like, that's the whole message. It's Kiritsugu's yeah. pragmatism and willing to just do whatever it takes to win. That really is the primary clash between him and yeah. his servant, who people yeah. who have watched the fate say night anime will recognize as uh king arthur artoria pendragon uh, right. saber from how to draw hentai featuring saber right that's usually where most people remember her from but um yeah so i mean a lot of the anime really uh focuses at least as far as kiritsugu's story is being told is this big like drama between you know kiritsugu and um saber do kind of have similar goals for, like, what they would do with the Grail, uh, just a little bit different. Like, Kiritsugu wants to save the whole world by, like, ending violence somehow, whereas uh, Saber wants to save Britain. Uh, you know, she never says from what, uh, and this anime was written, uh, you know, how long ago was this anime, or the light novel made, rather? Uh, 2006. When did the when did the Muslim invasion start happening in Britain? Because I'm just gonna assume because they don't ever say what she wants to save Britain from that that's obviously what she means. Because she talks about when Saber is talking about her homeland, she just kind of acts like it's already destroyed. You know, <laughs> even though London still exists, uh, she kind of talks about it like it's already destroyed. Yeah. So I think. I think Saber knows, and I think she knows that we know that she knows. You know, that's just, that's all I'm gonna that's all I'm gonna say on the topic. But yeah. uh, you know, they do disagree highly. Their their kind of main disagreement is on whether they yeah. end by the means. So yeah, Saber is like a moral fag kind of yeah, like um. Moral fag, no she's she's, she's like, dedicated fully to the idea of chivalry. She is. Yeah fully committed to the idea of fair conduct and respecting your opponent um the, the 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 saber and lancer fight is specifically underlined by their mutual respect for each other and their yeah. both combat abilities and also their honor and um well, kitty kind of, is like yeah that's nice but um that's cringe. i'm getting the grail i don't care yeah. Kill yourself, Lancer. See, I, I think that's really cool. I, I think, and like, I'm, I'm not against the idea of chivalry, but I, I, I think the idea of a story that is so, like, against it and basically says it's stupid and cringe is yeah. really funny and awesome. Specific in the context of Fate Zero, shiv- the idea of chivalry in battle, it's like... It's, like, in the context of, like, all of the Masters are presumably fighting for, like, basically, like, existential reasons. Like, they they must win. If they don't win, it means, like, the end of them and all of their ideals die with them, you know? So, in that kind of context, it's, like, the chivalry is, like, really obviously the biggest weakness of Saber. Uh, that's noticeable, if you remember from Heaven's Field, Saber Altar 
while in terms of stats and raw abilities, is very similar to regular Saber, but she has no chivalry. She doesn't give a fuck. She embodies, like, the legend of King Arthur as a ruthless ruler. And that's kind of, like, the opposite of how regular Saber conducts herself within the Fate series. She constantly talks about chivalry and being, you know, a good knight or whatever. Contrasted with her actual legend as King Arthur being a ruthless leader who would, you know, readily sacrifice, say, a village or something to win the war, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of it's a weird internal contradiction to her character that she kind of has to come to terms with as the anime drags on. But uh, Kuritsugu, on the other hand, he is someone who is like as extremist as you could be on the ends justifying the means because he, you know, his goal is for world peace. So if he has to kill, you know, a hundred, a thousand, a million people to get to that goal. It doesn't really matter if if the outcome is the same to him, and this kind of culminates in his final meeting with the Holy Grail's wheel when he talks to it, where it basically explains to him that because his wish to save the world, the only way he personally knows how to do that is through this type of ends justifies the means violence, that that would ultimately lead to just, given the power of the grail to execute his wishes, he would just end up killing every person on earth except for him and his family, because otherwise it would just not be peace as long as two people are left still to fight. It is also important, though, to remember that at this point, the Grail is already corrupted by a very malevolent, malevolent spirit. So it might not even be that the Grail is unable to uh, to execute a wish based on like, unless the 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 person making the wish knows exactly how to do it, and like it's like, oh, well, you don't know how to make world peace without killing everybody, so I have to kill everybody. I think that uh, I think the that Angramainu is also just sort of fucking with him just a little bit. And it's just like yeah, a lot of that is the the Grail when he finally meets the Grail, and presumably Kirei also meets the Grail. Yet we don't see his interaction with it. Uh, as far as we know, Kirei just saw the same scene that Kiritsugu saw. Uh, but uh, the Grail is obviously motivated from a selfish desire to be incarnated into the world as a human and that's Angermanyu talking not Irisville you know or Angermanyu pretending to be Irisville talking but um that probably greatly colors the Grail's ability to actually do anything as far as we've seen in most fate adaptations about the only thing the Grail's capable of doing is just killing a bunch of people yeah Uh, that's about all it seems capable of doing it's, it's important to note, I guess, that um, this is the fourth Holy Grail War, and a little bit of the backstory that they get to in one of these supplementary uh, visual novels is that during the third Holy Grail War, the Ironsburn summoned an extra-class servant, Ogren Mainu, uh, thinking that the Zoanastrian Zoena- god of evil would be uh, super strong. They thought they were going to win. Turns out Ogren Mainu was just like a scapegoat sort of thing that a bunch of villagers sacrificed to like blame on all the world's evils. And uh, it turns out that it's a very malicious evil spirit uh, to the point that unlike other servants, when they die, they get uh, absorbed into the grail so that it can be a giant mana repository to uh, drill a hole to the root or in like nowadays uh, nowadays reasons to uh, grant a wish um, he was able to apparently retain some of his personality in um, in the uh, 
in the grail and just turns it into a malevolent like wish granting device it's um yeah 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 they actually explained that in heaven's feel three uh when zoken's talking to shiro no it was uh Ilya's talking to rin and shiro when they're going to meet uh sakura hmm. yeah for clarification oh, yeah, this is this is a uh, dirty little slut sakura not regular sakura yeah, yeah. very what, Oh wait, yeah. I, 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 I don't know. My my brain forgot the entire plot of Heaven's Feel for a second. Now that we've covered, now that we've covered the uh, the uh, the motivations and arc of the Ivensburns master, I think yeah. we should move on to the Mato family's master and his right. motivations. Oh, right. yeah. So, you know, in, in the Mato family, now, everybody within the Mato family kind of exists as puppets to be used by Zoken. Zoken's desire is probably the most base and simple of all of them. He just wants to be immortal. It, we really don't even know if he actually gives a shit about seeking the, the uh, Grail. He just knows that he's going to hell, so he wants to live forever. And so, to avoid that, pretty much. Uh, so... Zokin uh, intends to use Sakura because of her latent, you know, he adopted Sakura, and Sakura uh, has a lot of latent magical potential, the same as Ren, and so he wants to use her to, uh, you know, corrupt and to, uh, basically, to be able to birth uh, Angermanyu. Uh, for some reason, Zokin, I guess, wants that to happen somehow. Uh, he wants Angermanyu to be birthed from Sakura, and then I guess use Angermanyu to obtain the Grail so that he can get yeah. his perfected body. But, I don't uh, think that there's really a corrupted version of I want to be immortal that Zoken really would care about. It's like, okay, but you're going to kill like a million people. It's like, oh, okay. He does know. not care. Yeah, yeah Zoken I don't give a shit. Zoken, in Heaven's Field, Zoken just directly uh, tells Ilya that like, if he had a choice of like killing every person on earth but being immortal he would take it because he just does not care about anybody else to that degree um, and, I, and i guess it's also Aria, important to uh note that sakura is the twin sister of reen who is right. the daughter of the third family's candidate um yeah, tokiomi Tokyo. yes now one might think that giving your daughter to a, uh, a creepy, hunched-over pedophile might yeah, be rapist. not the not the best not the best course of action, you know? <laughs> like, because I'm pretty sure, like, I, I'm pretty sure it's like established that Tokiomi has a fairly good idea of what the Mato family magecraft is like and what uh, is in store for his daughter uh, being raised by them. Am I correct? Right. Yeah, right, pretty much. Uh, Tokiomi, though... Um, do, do you think he's seen the bug pit? I, I don't know. You know. He may have not. Maybe maybe he <laughs> misheard. He probably misheard Zoken. He probably thought he was going to put her in the ball pit, and he was like, that sounds great. My daughter will love that. He probably misinterpreted what he said. So, um, oh, yeah. Anyway, he gives his daughter over because of some really autistic reasoning that basically go the the mage the magic crest of a family cannot really be divided or if you divide it, it there's no point right like you can't utilize the full power of it if you divide it so instead he's going to give his whole crest to to Ren 
and he's going to give this girl to the Mockery family so that she can get their magic crest, at least he thinks. Zokin's obviously not going to give her shit. Yeah. Um, because they but, have Shinji, uh, right? They, they have Shinji, yeah. and he's not going to give Shinji anything either. So, Because oh, yeah. <laughs> he's a boomer. you got to remember yeah, Zokin. Yeah. Oh, yeah, right, right. Zokin is the embodiment of the boomer mindset. Right. Yes. Well, never is afraid of death. Uh, has a reverse mortgage and wants he has to a reverse him. mortgage on his fucking body. Yeah, he has a reverse mortgage on his dude, own life. Dude, when he dies, that fucking bug pit's going straight to the bank, dude. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That. yeah, they're never. Yeah, Sakura's never going to be in But uh, Karia is basically a member of the uh, Makuri family who left because he kind of saw you know Zokin is like wicked, only cares about himself. So he just decided to not be a mage and just go live out as a normal person. Yeah. He discovers, though, that Sakura is going to basically be thrown to the bug pit. And because uh, Karia is kind of a simp for Tokiyami's wife and uh, their daughters, uh, he decides to sacrifice himself uh, to the bug pits so that Sakura can be spared from it. This doesn't actually happen, but he's pretty easily manipulatable because he's just he's there for the cunny. That's all he cares about. Yeah, so he's seen Heaven's Field. He knows how. To be fair, though, out. he does get pretty. He does get p- pretty based in red pill near the end. Oh yeah, he's yeah. a choke. Oh yeah, sure. yeah. This is a show for the choke. So, so again, yeah, another 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 bit of another bit of spoilers, things. and this also gets into one of the other characters again. Yeah, my we're, favorite, Kire. Yeah. Um, Karia attracts the uh, attentions of Kire for reasons that Kire's not quite understanding of yet. Uh, Kire is the one who enters into the most cooperation with Kire, uh, uh, Karia, throughout the entire Grail War. And when it comes down to the near end, uh, Kire also uses him as sort of a scapegoat for when he murders his master Tokiomi mm-hmm. in a in a in a completely completely predictable act of betrayal that's also spurred on by uh, oh, yeah. spurred on by Gilgamesh and his uh, his little you know megalomania yeah. and stuff like that. We have a, um, we have a nice dynamic going on yeah, well, in this Grail War where Gilgamesh... like two people in the whole Grail War actually give a shit about winning the Grail. Yeah. And everyone else is just having a grand old time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, Gilgamesh decided he doesn't care about the grill. Um, Gilgamesh comes from a time, you know, before vaccines were a thing. So he say he sees Kire's autism, and that really interests him. So his main focus is just looking at Kire and figuring out how his head works, what he's doing. Yeah. So the um, so Karia Karia's final part of the arc is. He um, he has completely destroyed his body. The worms in his body are slowly eating him from the inside. He is yeah. in monumental pain. He, at the start of the series, has jet black hair. It's now completely snow white. His yeah. face is like half paralyzed. His arm doesn't work, and he is everywhere. And he looks like Dirk Coomer. He just look. He is yeah. the embodiment of Dirk Coomer. He constantly and, bleeds uh, out of his eyes. He's just in constant he's just pain. Bad off. He's bad off. He's bad he's, off. He's he's yeah. gone through some shit, and not for shit for his own sake, but for shit because of the people that he has come to care about. 
he he has a one-sided love for Sakura's mother and genuinely probably cares more about Rin and Sakura more than their own father. Yeah. Right. And, and uh, after all of this, he is set up to be to what it looks like to be the person who has killed Tokiomi. And his wife comes in on this and just starts being the most self-involved woman that you could possibly imagine. Just just completely, completely like, hey, you know what? You are a selfish piece of shit. How dare you not give your entire soul to the freaking vampire Zoken? How dare you criticize me giving my daughter to the fucking rape bugs? How dare you do any of this? And he just becomes completely red-pilled in that and moment and chokes him to death. First of all, at the very <laughs> oh, yeah. she calls him an incel loser, and that's when... That's he when rises the switch. fuck up. Yeah. That's yeah, yeah. Switch flips in Kari's head, and he just goes full gamer mode. Chokes a bit. He learns. Like, I, in that one second, he learns. He learns the power that you can manifest by choking a woman. I I remembered it wrong. I thought he killed her there, but he didn't. Actually. <laughs> he doesn't kill only, her. But he, 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 he makes her full on retarded by choking her out. Like <laughs> he chokes her out so much that she loses like oxygen in her brain and gets like brain damage and uh, cerebral palsy or whatever. You see her in a wheelchair yeah, at the end. Really, it was the most, it was, I, mean, I keep saying everything's the most gamer moment, but this, honestly, this whole anime is just gamer moment after gamer yeah. moment. Um, we see a little bit later on, like I think a couple episodes later, or one episode later, we see uh, Kirei uh, also has a gamer moment on um, Irisville. That one's a little sad because I like Irisville. She's yeah, very Irisville. Irisville is based. Irisville yeah, is is uh, best girl throughout uh, Fade Zero. Oh, yeah. I would say. Oh yeah. But uh, there's a problem. There's well, a problem, actually, folks. actually, yeah. we're forgetting about the most important uh, Fate character uh, ever, uh, Shirley. Uh, very cute. Oh yes, yes, uh, Shirley. I am a I'm a I'm a big fan of the uh, Filipino wife pill. Uh, that that's a pill worth swallowing. Uh, and Shirley is the ideal. Right. So, uh, so there's a there's a scene where we get to see Kiritsugu's backstory, and for some reason, Kiritsugu's father chose to raise him in on the island of Pepsi, uh, run by yeah, the Philippines. We were talking about Shirley and Pepsi. Um, it's very cute, but yeah, just the fact that like every character is gamer peeled, you know, I think that's pretty important. And we have obviously Uryu, He's a bit of a Corbo gamer. But we've got, you know, Karia. He starts off as a Corbo, but he ends up as, you know, a true egg-pilled gamer. Uh, you know, yeah. Kirei was a gamer the whole time, obviously. Yeah. But Gilgamesh... Yeah. Kirei took the Tux Pepe uh, pill. Yeah, you, you took know. the Tux Pepe pill, but, you know, I think Gilgamesh has some of the best gamer energy, you know, the whole time. Yeah. Now, he gets... When Gilgamesh is originally summoned, he is uh, the servant of Tokiomi. But he really, like, knows right away from the get-go that Tokiomi is kind of a simp, and he doesn't really give a shit about him. Yeah. Doesn't kind of ignore all of his orders. He doesn't even No, care. I don't even think it's... I don't even think it's that. I think, uh... I think that Gilgamesh just has outright contempt that Tokiomi is a complete and utter nerd. Yeah, right. He's just... He's just kind of a queer, you know? Nobody likes Tokiomi, but, uh... You know, Gilgamesh, uh, sets his eyes pretty early on Kirei, and kind of grooming Kirei up to, uh, mm-hmm. kill Tokiomi to take it for himself 
And then once we have the dynamic duo of Gilgamesh and Kirei, that's kind of when the show really begins. And, uh, you know, at that point, uh, Gilgamesh, now Gil, he has no desire for the Grail, really. He's, you know, as the king of Babylon, he had every treasure imaginable in life. So he really doesn't care about anything the Grail could possibly do, and he's actually smart enough to even know that it sounds too good to be true. Uh, he does, what- however, have contempt for anybody that covets what he believes is rightfully his. That's true. Yeah. So to that, to that end, he does not want anyone else to get the Grail, but uh, he does have one interest, and that is, you know, he discovers that, you know, uh, Saber is his waifu, and he's not going to let anybody else get his waifu. And so his uh, his proposal method is to uh, pellet Saber with swords and uh, while she's on the ground say, you know, like, okay, Saber, uh, ignore this whole Grail War thing and you're going to be my wife. Yeah. And uh, she gets really pissed off about this because she still likes to pretend to be the king. And, uh, you know, he keeps uh, pelleting swords at her and saying, you know, look, it's okay, I get that you're shy. Uh, you can keep saying the wrong answer as long as you want. You know, you'll you'll eventually submit to me, and that's pretty based. It's Daddy Dom declaration pill. Uh, as he's fighting with Saber, he keeps like telling her about all the shit that he's gonna make her do, and uh, she's gonna love every second of it. Uh, it's really honestly, it's really based because he's just like completely disregarding the idea of Saber as like a warrior or a fighter. He's just like, no, you're gonna be my little cum slut. <laughs> and, uh, honestly, that's really base. Big gamer energy there. Yeah. Big uh, gamer Gil- energy. I mean, Gilgamesh in multiple points in the story is honestly the most like hilarious based character. Um, so you know, I, I kind of like that. We're forgetting two more characters: uh, oh, Waver yeah. and uh, Iskandar Ryder. Yeah. Uh, let, me, let me talk about these guys. Yeah. This is Jeff. So, yeah. Ryder is. Uh, in this, uh, Skandar, probably at least my second favorite rider in Fate. He's pretty cool. He's fucking awesome. He's just he's just a, a fucking retard Chad. He's got he's got big gamer energy. He just wants to have a good time. He just wants to, you know, hang out with the bros. You know, Waver, he's he's kind of uh he's kind of a wimp, you know. And I, I like I like how he he kind of builds up his friend over time. It reminded me of my own friendship with Corbo, how I gave that little guy the confidence to <laughs> And you know what? I mean, look at Corbo now, guys. He's writing his own Star Wars cartoon. I mean, that's great. I'm happy for him. It's I, I um, like I like the dynamic between Waver and Iskandar. I think yeah. one of the uh, the best moments of all that is that Waver is uh, is kind of a, a bitch. Oh, he's yeah. uh he is uh he's sick and tired though of being a bitch. He's sick and tired of his insecurities like being just completely manifested and sh- shoved in his face 24/7. He wants to change that. He wants to grow out of being a bitch. And that's I think the the main reason why Iskandar while he still bullies the shit out of him respects him because yeah. um he uh he he's like Boy, your your insecurities are retarded. Look at this, yeah. and he holds up like a a map of the world. It's like this is what I'm up against. Can you even draw a comparison between me and this? No, we are the exact same. We are insignificant, and that is what makes our ambitions great. And yeah. that is like 
like, the fucking shaddest thing in this series. I also yeah. like that Iskandar, while understanding the point of the Grail War and having a desire for the Grail, at the same time, he totally is, like, missing the point with, like, this is a battle or whatever. So, like, you know, his first move, his opening move is, like, all right, uh, we're going to go make a big ruckus and draw all the servants together in one spot, and we're going to have a cool drinking competition to see if we get really drunk. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's really awesome. Uh, his other thing that Ryder likes to do is uh, he's a big NES Chad, and uh, he really likes playing Civ Five. And so uh, he brings, uh, he gets a uh, waiver to take him to like this local like shopping mall or whatever. And it's a whole bunch of cool gamer merch. Yeah. Um, now, because of copyright reasons, they couldn't just call. They couldn't say that he was playing Sid Meier Civilization. So they come up with a new name for it: Admirable War Tactics. But it's the exact same game. Yeah. Really is like it that. actually? Is it actually Civ? Um, they don't actually show no. them playing the game, but it seems to be heavily implied that that's kind of what it is. It's that, some that kind of, of, at the end of the show, strategy game. At the end of the show, Waver's setting up his NES to, you know, celebrate the Grell War by just gaming. So, I mean, that's pretty great. Everyone's a gamer in yeah, the show. Really, probably in the, the, in the end, yeah, everybody part. becomes a gamer or they die. And yeah. that's a really based moral for the show. Yeah, and Waver stays a gamer. Apparently, yeah. he yeah. he he is a he is a dedicated gamer. He uh he uh writes in like leaflets that are in the back of the uh, instruction booklet to like give uh, critiques of what he thought the game was uh, what was good. He like dutifully does it because he's like super autistic. What are you saying about Studio Dean Frig? Well, Studio Dean, I mean, they worked with what they had, but honestly, Ufotable just has, uh, I think they just had a better vision than what the original art direction was for Vision Novel, and it's really just, it's what everybody associates fate with these days, and I think for good reason, if you've seen any of, like, the Heaven's Feel movies or Unlimited Blade Works or Fate Zero, like, it's just some of the most Kino animation probably ever. Yeah. So, yeah, the... The UFO and uh, UFO table made the uh, or UFO table or whatever. I always continue to mispronounce the animation studio name um, would later go on to make the unlimited blade works adaptation uh, anime series, which uh, is essentially the sequel to the uh, fate zero anime. Mm -hmm. um, however, in terms of animation, direction it is a vastly inferior product to fate zero uh, yeah. especially i i think it's most notable in the fight scenes because the fight scenes in um in uh in fate zero i think are the nail in the coffin for anybody who is like uh naysayers of fate zero compared to the other uh adaptations to be honest i thought this came after uh fate yeah, uh, unlimited blade works because the fights are so much better in this. It's just it's everything is really perfectly choreographed. I don't think any of well, the it's actually happens. choreographed. Like that's actually that's, choreographed. That's that's, that's the jarring thing of like going in from Fade Zero to Fate Unlimited Blade Works is the fights in the Unlimited Blade Works anime make frequent um, and like almost gratuitous use of characters moving at high speed it's like oh man these guys are moving super fast but like they're doing that so they don't have to actually animate it they're yeah. doing that to allow for skips in the in the fight yeah. that allow for kind of bullshit victories i mean in fate zero a lot of the characters 
that like in most fight scenes, they don't really switch location. They they start and end in pretty much the same spot. Yep. But the actual choreography of the exchanging of blows, it's it's very good. I mean, it's just it's really can't, I can't really come up with another word to describe it. Then it's just really yeah. you know? fights yeah. have a weight to them as opposed to sort of. They also have a lot of different OST. Like every single character has kind of their OST for when they're fighting, and yeah. I mean, it's like it, Zero has just one of my favorite, you know, uh, soundtracks for a fight. The 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 yeah. only the only thing that I think that the Unlimited Blade Works anime outstrips the uh, Fate Zero in terms of fight scenes is uh, Shiro versus Gilgamesh is pretty Kino. I like that. Yeah, that's really good. Um, uh, it's kind of bullshit that Shiro gained that much power in that short of a time. That is a little bit, you know, in the visual novel, it made more sense because he just got done having sex with Tosaka, which would reasonably power up any, you know, strike. The male. dolphin gave him mana. It's fine. Um, but, you know, it, well, in the anime, he takes the clear pill. Yeah, he gets a yeah, dolphin yeah. to give him yeah. mana. Right. But, uh, you know, I think this is still, like, it's just, honestly, it's just one of my fa- favorite fate animes, really. I would highly recommend it. Yeah, probably his favorite animes in general. It's uh, so good. I definitely agree with the fights. I, I think the fights in this, the problem with Fate Unlimited Blade Works is that I can't even remember most of them. I remember Shiro versus Gil mm-hmm. pretty good, and that's about it. Yeah, uh, I, this, I remember everything. Yeah, this one right here is just like every single fight is meaningful. There's not like bullshit. Yeah, a big problem I had with Apocrypha that this doesn't really share is like Apocrypha has like all these no really consistency, no consistency. But it's like it's a bunch of little short fights that are that start and are over in thirty seconds. Yeah, no clear victor. Yeah, fate zero like. Characters do not like fight just to bullshit around. Like they, they fight to kill, and almost all the fights like have resolutions and yeah. uh, move the story along. I mean, the pacing—it's really good pacing. Uh, it's two seasons, so it's twenty-five episodes. But I think honestly, that's that's about the perfect length for, yeah. for this type of story with this many characters in it. And it gives every character just gets a lot of character development. They all become base gamer chads at the end, which is awesome. Uh, you know, really good, really good shit all around. Um, all right. Yeah. So, um, any uh, closing thoughts? Yeah. Right so, uh, would everyone recommend uh, Fate Zero? Hell yes. You know. right. uh, Frank, I, I assume that's a yes for oh, you obviously, too. Obviously, yes. Um, I mean, yeah. another thing I'll say, I mean, if you're going to be an Ilya Chad, you know, you want to watch Prisma Ilya, you got to watch Fate Zero first because that, you know, Fate Zero gives you that, that black pill on Kiritsugu and Ilya's relationship and it gets kind of mended up, you know, in Prisma Ilya. So, you know, if you want that kind of uh, curvature to the story uh, arc, you know, you, you got to start with Zero before you watch Prilia. It'll make you, it'll make you appreciate Prilia that much more all right uh any closing thoughts uh i would say that despite it being a prequel fate zero is probably the best starting off point for getting into fate uh just because one it's the best of all the anime adaptations and also because i think that one of the main problems with adapting fate um in general is that the original 
visual novel is extremely long and there are highly autistic concepts that really need to be elaborated on for half of the plot to make sense. And I think that Fate Zero really kind of solidifies a lot of those concepts as to like why people are doing X and stuff like that. It's definitely where I would recommend starting off. I will say the number one retarded thing though is that UFO Table forgets or Ufotable forgets that um Fate Zero is set in 1994, which means that <laughs> Fate, uh, Fate Unlimited Blade Works and Heaven's Feel both take place in 2004. But everybody has flat screen televisions, and it's just like this is triggering my fucking autism. CRT yeah, a little bit of definitely a lot more prominent. Weird, there's some weird world inconsistencies with that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, now that I think of it, also 1994, Kira's has a fucking laptop. Yeah, no, they those had, existed in 1994. They had, they had laptops, yeah. Oh, they had laptops? Well, yeah. I mean, yeah. He has, laptops. His laptop's not laggy, though. His la He clicks on a webpage to look at, uh, you know, some guy's He's got magic internet, though. Oh, he's got magic internet. I mean, like, it, it's like a business laptop. It's like a yeah. very, like, it's not a gamer laptop. It, it's for it's for, it's for for printing out documents on how to yeah. murder people and shit. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, um, Flamenco, where can people uh, find you? Uh, they can find me on uh, dlive.tv slash Flamenco, where I play horrible video games and are very bad at them. All right. Um, you can find me, uh, Big Tony1611, on Twitter and DLive. I normally stream midday around 12 to 1 p.m. ish, Eastern Standard Time. Uh, we're doing a December 11th kind of Christmas stream, uh, 3.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We're playing Sven Co-op. We're going to have a server open. Everyone can join. It's going to be fun. And uh, the day before that, we're doing the Game Awards on stream, which should be fun. Uh, yeah, we're be on that. Powder Keg's going like to be on. He's going to stream. Yeah, it'll be fun. Um, Frig, how about you? Uh, you can find me on dlive.tv slash Friginator. I like to stream Genshin Impact, Fake Grand Order, and occasionally Postal 2, just whatever we're playing with the boys. Uh, yeah. I usually stream around 7.30 Central Time, or uh, I guess it'd be 8.30 Eastern. Um, but, you know, sometimes you'll find me streaming in the morning. It really depends. I have kind of a... Usually my content's pretty static. It's mostly Genshin all day, but sometimes I'll do coding. I'll do... Random bullshit. Um, yeah. You can also find me on Twitter at uh, twitter.com slash basedfrignap. Oh, uh, free. Explain the uh, cheat bot. Uh, real oh, quick. yeah, yeah. New edition. Uh, we haven't talked about this on the last episode, but on my DLive streams, I have uh, made you guys a, uh, a nice little AI waifu. If you remember our Cho uh, Chobits episode, I was uh, so engrossed by that idea that I have uh, made a bot that looks like Chi. Uh, it's a live 2D avatar that is operated by a script. Uh, she'll respond to your comments in the live chat in real time uh, over voice chat. And uh, yeah. it'll also, you know, animate her mouth moving and stuff like that. I plan to add some more features to her in the future. Um, but yeah, that's uh, that's a nice little side benefit to watching yeah. a frig stream if you're not already, you know, uh, Chi bot. She's very, she's very cute. Uh, yeah. She's Daddy Dom Declaration Pill. <laughs> um, you know it's very very good very good addition yeah. to the stream i may yeah. even have some streams in the future with her just by herself when i start adding more features to her yeah. right now she's a little bit limited right now but it'll get there eventually and uh Jeju? yeah so 
I have just one final closing statement after uh, before the plug. Watch F-Zero, watch Case Files, watch Apocrypha. Only then are you going to be able to comprehend Carnival Phantasm. Obviously, watch Healing Good. You know, awesome. sub to all my bros. Uh, you can find me at at Autistic Genius and on YouTube, Outlaw Otaku. Check out the latest uh, mailbox vid. It's totally Coomer pilled. It's based. I got some big titty anime cards. They're it's pretty, pretty epic. good. Check it out. Yeah, yeah it's based. All right. Uh, thank you, everyone, for watching or listening. Uh, thank you, Michael, for joining us. Uh, we'll see you next time. You may walk, I do cry.